You can open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 3. We're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse number 23. One other thing maybe I can quickly announce. There's a couple of Bibles that have been left behind. If you are missing a couple of Afrikaans Bibles, just please uh, find me afterwards. You can get them from me here. Luke chapter 3 and verse number 23. And by the grace of God this morning, I'm going to preach to you on this subject, from divinity to dust, from divinity to dust. Luke chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible says, and Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed. Now this is an indirect mention of the virgin birth, right? The son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, and rather than go through the entire list of names, I believe what you're looking at here is Mary's genealogy. You won't find her name in it, but it was very typical in ancient times not to include the name of the wife, but rather the husband. Hence, the the son of Joseph, he is mentioned there. The, The father's name is mentioned. Then the genealogy, if you just go back to verse 31 or go down to verse 31, you can see where the genealogy splits. In Matthew 1, you have Joseph's genealogy And he brings you down from Abraham through David to Christ, and it offers the kingly line of Christ. Whereas in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is focusing on something different. So he doesn't give you the kingly line, the kingly genealogy. Verse 31, it says, which was the son of Melia, which was the son of Menon, which was the son of Matatha, which was the son of Nathan, which was the son of David. So in Matthew's gospel, it goes David, then Solomon, and then you get the kings, whereas in this genealogy, David, and then a different son of David through Nathan, and you get a much more human side. If you'll come all the way down to verse 38, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. And what we have in this passage is a description, if you will, a bridge from the divine aspect of Jesus all the way down to the human or dust aspect of Jesus. So for a few moments, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus' journey from divinity to dust. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, thank you for this privilege. What a wonderful day we've had already. Meeting together to hear these reports. God, thank you for the encouragement. And I pray that you please bless this time of preaching Speak to each heart. You know what they need to hear. You know what I need to say. We commit this service to you. We yield ourselves to the Spirit of God. And we ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Each of the four Gospels presents Jesus in a different light. It's all going to obviously tell uh, the story of the Savior, but from a different angle. And there are going to be stories in each of the four Gospels that do uh, overlap. But, in the Gospel of Matthew, he is presented more as the king. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's the only Gospel that uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. And then in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus, same stories, but told from a slightly different angle, he's presented more as a servant. Then in the Gospel of John, John is the most unique of all of the Gospels. John only has 7% of similar stories with the other Gospels. 93% of the information in John's Gospel is unique to John. Well, that explains why John is trying to uh, describe Jesus from 
his deity from his divine nature, showing us that Jesus is God. Then in the Gospel of Luke, the heavy emphasis is that Jesus did come down in human form. Hence, the emphasis in Luke is that Jesus was a man. So you have king, servant, man, and then God. In the Gospel of Luke, 26 times the phrase son of man is used by Jesus to describe himself. In Matthew's Gospel, when you hear a parable, it will often start off with, uh, this is like the kingdom of heaven. Whereas in the Gospel of Luke, those same stories start off with, there was a certain man. When you read in Luke's Gospel about Jesus hanging on the cross and just when he dies, a centurion says, certainly this was a righteous man. In the other Gospels, it says, certainly this was the Son of God, which was also true. The soldier probably said both. But Luke is putting an, a heavy emphasis on the human side of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I think all of you, you've heard this phrase before, from rags to riches, right? We all like a story like that. You know, we start off as underdogs and everything is against us. It doesn't seem like it's going to work out. And then through much effort, little by little, you climb and scratch your way to the top from rags to riches. The Gospel of Luke kind of flips that on its head. This is more from riches to rags. <laughs> this is Jesus going from divinity down to the dust. Now I want to work with what we've already learned. Luke chapters 1, 2, and 3 up until verse 22. If that's all you read, you would not think Jesus is any sort of a regular, normal man. Matter of fact, you would think just the opposite. Let me just remind you, I'm not going to walk you through all the verses, but we, the first thing we read about is John the Baptist. This man, Jesus, is so incredibly special that you have to have a miraculous birth to bring John into the world just to be the messenger for Jesus. That's how incredible, how unique, how special, how magnificent the man Christ Jesus is. you got to have a miraculous birth just for the messenger. When Jesus is conceived, an angel has to come and explain it to Mary. And obviously the idea of God coming down in the form of the Holy Ghost and planting that seed in the womb of Mary through miraculous methods, bringing forth a child through a virgin birth, this is not your ordinary man. You have the birth of the Savior. How many times do you read in the history of, of the universe where a child is born and the heavens open and a choir of angels begin to sing? <laughs> There's something very special about this man, Jesus. After Jesus is born, they bring him to the temple to dedicate him. Simeon snatches him up, filled with the Holy Ghost, and says, this is the one we've been waiting for. Anna then takes him in her arms and says, to those of you that have been waiting for redemption, here's the answer to all of our problems. Guys, Jesus' story is incredibly unique. He's not your typical person. He's not just a man. Luke went out of his way to show us in chapter 1, 2, 3, we're dealing with divinity. We're dealing with God come down to our level. In the end of Luke chapter 2, you read about Jesus having conversations with the doctors of the law. Here's a 12-year-old boy keeping up with the higher educated class of the day, asking them questions and giving them answers and blew their minds. By the time you get to chapter 3, even John says, you think I'm a big deal. Maybe you think I'm the Messiah. I'm, I'm not anything, guys. The one coming after me 
He's so mighty. He's so great. I'm not worthy to even bow down and un- untie his shoes, to unloose his shoes. That's how great this guy is. And then we see Jesus get in the water. I mean, how many of you have been baptized and you had the Father break open the clouds and say, well done, child? I mean, that just doesn't happen. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's, it's nothing but an emphasis on how divine the Lord Jesus is. Now, the rest of Luke's story throughout his gospel, he wants to emphasize the humanity of Jesus. Yes, there's going to be miracles and the preaching, and you can see the God side of Jesus in the rest of the gospel, but many of the human elements of Jesus will be brought to the forefront. So Luke had to build a bridge, if you will. And I believe that's why Luke carefully, through the direction of the Holy Spirit, put this bridge in verses 23 to 38. How do we get Jesus from this highly exalted divine position down to the dust where Adam came forth. And Luke builds that bridge. He gives us the genealogy that leads us right back to the dust. Like one preacher said, your daddy is Adam. Your granddaddy is the dust. And your great-grandpa is nothing. <laughs> Luke has now built this bridge, and the way Paul would put it is, that he, that is Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto, de- unto death, even the death of the cross." Paul so eloquently told the story from divinity to dust. If I can ask you to hold your place here in Luke, if you'd like. I say that, I'm not sure we'll be back, but you can just turn to Hebrews chapter 2, if you would. Hebrews chapter 2. And in the book of Hebrews, we have a wonderful explanation for why it's so important that the divine took on human form. Why is it a big deal that we believe this? Why should we take such notice of the fact that Jesus came down as a human? Bear in mind, we count it a great honor. We recognize the sacrifice it takes to leave your home and go to a foreign place and minister to other people. Amen? That's that's a big deal. That should be recognized. Now let's think of the greatest missionary ever. What did the Lord Jesus Christ leave behind? Think of this, folks, for a moment. It's always nice to let your mind wander to heaven for a while. Just let it wander there. For all eternity, what has Jesus enjoyed? I would say day and night, but in heaven they don't have day and night. (laughs) But on our watches, it'd be day and night, all day, all night, all they do, all of heaven's choirs, the angels, the four uh, living beasts, the cherubims, the 20 and four elders, all they do day and night is bow down before the throne and say, holy, 
Holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Jesus steps forth and says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And, and the angels and the cherubim bow down and say, Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and praise, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they were created. That's all we do in heaven is recognize how wonderful and how majestic and how divine and how gracious He is. That's all we see. That's all we talk about. And then one day, Jesus stands, and let me be careful to word this correctly, He does not disrobe from His divinity. When Jesus comes down to us, He, he was no less divine. But rather, the Bible says, He took upon Him the form of a servant. Along with His divinity, He comes down and wraps Himself in human flesh. The question is, why is that such a big deal for us? In the book of Hebrews, we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 2, but I want to bring your attention to uh, verse, chapter 1 and verse 8 just for a quick moment. Let me set the scene for the book of Hebrews. In chapter 1, the discussion is between Christ and the angels. I should say the apostle is making a discussion between those two. Which one is better? How much better is Jesus than the angels? And then the writer goes about saying, this is where God puts the angels. Now look at what God says about Christ. It's not even close. He is so much greater than the angels. Look at what God said about His own Son in verse 8. But unto the Son He saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of Thy kingdom. The writer's quoting from Psalm 45. It's a messianic verse. But God the Father is saying to His Son, Thy throne, O God. This is one of the greatest statements of the deity of Christ in the Bible. This is God calling His own Son God. Now with that in mind, we come to chapter 2. The argument has been made. Jesus is so much better than the angels. And that thought continues into chapter 2. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now the author is going to bring his point home. He's guys, we've just recently been hearing from Jesus and the apostles. We've got to hang on tight to that. And he makes another comparison. Verse 2, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast. Now what does he mean, spoken by angels? When Moses received the law on Mount Sinai, there were a number of angels there helping him to receive and, and write down and transmit that message. So the author is now going back to what we know as the Old Testament law. He says in verse 2, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? What's the point? Under the law, when Moses wrote, they took it serious. When Moses said, if you commit this crime, you will be punished in this way, every crime received a just recompense of reward. You got punished. The law was strict. Now he says, if the law was to be taken that seriously, how much more serious should we take the things that our Savior has told us? 
Moses did not offer what Jesus offered. The law came by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Moses never came to offer the ransom for our sins. Moses, the best he could do was say, bring an animal again and again and again, which was never enough. That's why they had to keep bringing it. Jesus comes and says, I have come to give myself a ransom for many. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? That's the apostles. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. The question is posed, if the law was taken serious, how much more serious then do we take the things Jesus said? The apostles followed up on Jesus. God confirmed it with these miracles, which by the way, that's the purpose of the miracles and the gifts of the Holy Ghost is to confirm the word that the apostles gave. We have that word. It's no, we call it the New Testament. If I can pause for a moment on this question, friend, if you have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, how shall you escape the punishment you deserve for your sins? Nobody else has ever made a payment that would satisfy the holiness and the righteous wrath of God. Only Jesus was sufficient to make a God-sized payment because only Jesus was God that could come down as a man and die in your place. There is no other way to escape. This is why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's no other way to escape. Verse 5 the point is kind of brought to a conclusion here. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. Now he's shifting focus to the kingdom age, right? The world to come. That kingdom is not going to be ruled over by angels. But who will rule over that kingdom? Well, we do know that Christ will rule over it. But who rules and reigns with him? Mankind. Those that have received him and faithfully served him, we have a place reserved in the kingdom for us. So he goes on to say in verse 6, But once in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? What a good question. What is man? Can I put it in up-to-date English? What's the big deal about us? Why would God be so interested in us? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Of all the things God created, right? Not just the things we can see, but the things that are unseen. Angels, cherubim, seraphim. Why is the emphasis put on us? Verse 7, thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Admittedly, we do not have the power of an angel. We cannot just move from place to place as fast as the lightning moves, which that's how the Bible describes them. They have constant access to God, right? Physically to see him. We don't have that. We are in a lower position. So why doesn't God put all the emphasis on the angels? Why is mankind such a big deal? It says, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. God crowned humankind with glory and honor. What was that glory and honor? Did he hand Adam a physical crown to wear on his head? Was that the crowning of glory and honor? Did he give him a bag of money? Did he give him, you know, coupons to go for a vacation somewhere? What, what did he give him? Folks, the glory and honor that was given to Adam and thus passed down to us was the stamping of God's image 
on that creation. We bear the image of God. And that gives us a connection with God that not even the angels have. So he says in verse number 8, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Amen. That was the plan. If you've read Genesis 1, God told Adam, have dominion over everything. Subdue all things. That was the plan. He says in verse 8, For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Everything. And then he says, But now we see not yet all things put under him. So you know what the author says? Even though positionally we're below the angels, God still makes a big deal out of us. Why? Because he gave us something special. This glory, this honor, which is the image of God. And then he gave us this wonderful privilege, this duty to have dominion over everything. But guys, when you look at the world, it's corrupt, it's dark, it's, it's, it's not working the way God intended. Amen? It's a mess. So the author says we don't see it working the way God intended it to work. Why? Because sin came into the picture. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent that was more subtle than any beast of the field came to Eve and then Eve eventually took this to Adam and said, in a nutshell, let's not listen to God, let's do it ourselves. Let's live independently of God. And from that point on, mankind now says we will use our own wisdom, not the wisdom that comes from above. So if you just stop at verse 8, you'd say, well, mankind really messed it up. You'd have to say amen to that. Go, yep, there's a lot of evidence that we just took what God gave us and made a mess. But that's not where the story ends. Verse 9, but we see Jesus. I like that. You see at the end of verse 8, we see not yet all things put under Him. Because of sin, we don't see God's plan being fulfilled. But what do we see? We see see Jesus. Can I just offer this word of exhortation? Stop focusing on all of your failures and mistakes and turn your eyes upon Jesus. The author says, yes, things are a mess and corrupt and not working the way God intended, so turn your eyes upon Christ. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. He skipped over that. Here is the ultimate divine the majesty of heaven. And as he steps out of heaven, rather than taking himself down one notch to the level of an angel, he comes down to the level of man. Why? It says clearly, for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor. He's crowned with humanity, with wearing human flesh. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death. Help me, church, for how many men? How many men? Every man, not just the elect. Not just one people group, not just one language. But for every man, for every sinful man and woman, Jesus says, I'm going to come down to your level. Listen, if God had never took upon Him the form of a servant, if He had never become human, then He could not have died. And if He could not die, He could not pay for your sins because from the very first page of the Bible, the wages of sin is death. God told Adam clearly, the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. The only way, listen, the only way to fix the sin problem is death. 
And here we find the conundrum. God loves you. God is merciful. He doesn't want you to die and pay for your sins. But there's no other way to pay for them. So the only option he has is to come down in the form of a servant and live a sinless life and then go to the cross in your place, take your sins upon himself and taste death on your behalf. Without the incarnation which is a big fancy word to say God becoming flesh, he cannot die. But secondly, he cannot become familiar with what it feels like to be a human. And as you go through the rest of the passage, you'll see clearly how this comes out. Come down to verse number 16 with me. Let me be careful to point out, we have the evidence right, that God... Well, let me say we, we have the, the answer as to why God puts more emphasis on man than he does the angels. It's because we have the image of God and the angels don't. But that's our connection. We see that. But how important is that connection? How big of a deal is that to God? That was proved by him coming down lower than the angels and becoming like one of us. Now we see just how big of a deal that connection is. Can I ask you to just investigate your heart how big of a deal is it to you that you have that connection with God? It's so big to him that he laid aside all the glories of heaven to come down and get acquainted with you. How much effort are you putting into getting acquainted with him? How much are you willing to give up to draw nigh to him, to come to where he's at? He's invited you to come. Are you making strides to get to where he's at? In verse number 16, it says, for, he, uh, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He skipped over angels and came down in Jewish flesh. Verse 17, wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. To behoove, it means it was fitting. It was, it was a proper thing to do. Because he has come to establish a relationship with mankind it was necessary behooved him to then become human and it says next that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people notice this difference here now Jesus if you're a prophet I can say it like this if you're a prophet you get a message from God and you speak to the people right you start off at God and you say, people, thus saith the Lord. That's the job of a prophet. But the job of a priest, verse 17, the job of a priest is to start off at man. And you hear from the man what his problems are, and then you go and make intercession on that man's behalf and say, God, this man is going through trouble. This man has no way back to you. Jesus did both, by the way. As a prophet, he came and declared the Father to us. He showed us what God is like in human form. He drew a picture for us, I mean, with his life, a living illustration of God. But then he also plays the role of high priest because now he can hear from man and go to God and intercede and say, God, I know what it feels like to go through these troubles. I know what it feels like to have a friend stab you in the back. I know what it feels like to be hungry. So hungry that you're desperate and almost ready to do anything 
to get that next meal. I know how it feels to be thirsty, to beg for a drop of water, to say, I thirst, and have no one bring you that water. I know how it feels to have the people you love and trust the most deny that friendship and connection. I know how it feels to see potential in people and to see them walk away from that potential. Jesus, unlike anybody else in human history, can say, I was tempted in all points like as you are. Verse 18, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them also that are tempted. When Jesus was on this earth, he said to one man, this man came to him and said, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere you go. Jesus' response to him was, be careful now. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus became so acquainted with mankind, I would say he became more human than a lot of us. He experienced humanity. He experienced the injustice, the betrayal, the gossip, the people talking behind his back, all of the pains and sufferings, emotional, physical, all of that stuff. Jesus became familiar with it so that he could do two things. Number one, verse 17, make reconciliation. He came down in human form. He died. Now he's offered that sacrifice to God on your behalf. So he and he alone is able to do this. Jesus can reach up into heaven and take the hand of God and reach down at the same time and offer you, sinner, a full payment for your sins and say, I can make the connection. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, because he alone made that sufficient sacrifice. He alone can re reconcile the sinner. But at the same time, because he became man, God became man, now he's able to offer that hand to you and say, sinner, it looks like you're going through a rough time. And it's not that I'm just empathizing, I'm sympathizing. I've been where you're at. And you can bring all of your burdens to me, cast all of your cares upon me, and Jesus can legitimately weep with them that weep. Listen, he knows how it feels to go to a funeral. He knows how it feels to suffer a broken heart. You know, I, I've heard this recently, and I struggled with this for years myself. I've fought and thought and thought about this. I thought, Jesus, you were tempted in all points. You were touched with the feeling of my infirmities, but you don't know, Jesus, how it feels to fail. And I really thought I had God on a theological point there. I thought, well, I, I finally found it. You know, I got something that God can't answer. He doesn't know how it feels to fail. When did Jesus ever sin and then have to look up at God and go, God, I'm so sorry I messed up. Jesus, you don't know how, how hard that is for me to endure. I, that's a pain in my heart. And Jesus, you're not familiar with that. This week, he gave me the answer to that. He said, Mike, when I was on that cross, I carried all of your failures, all of your sins were in my body, I know exactly how they feel. I carried them. I felt them. Jesus never had any sin of his own, but he had yours. And he had mine. You ever been so fed up with yourself that you felt like quitting? You ever thought, I've had enough of myself? It's one thing to be fed up with everybody else, you know. It's another thing to say, oh, I did it again. Come on now, if you're being honest, you've been there multiple times in your life. How do I keep messing this up? 
all of those frustrations and sins and failures and backslidings when Jesus went to the cross, all of those things were put on him and he felt them. Chapter 4, verse number 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He knows how it feels to be frustrated over your sins because he was touched by your sins. He knows that feeling. How many of you have ever seen the show or heard of it maybe called Undercover Boss? How many of you just raise your hand? Have you ever heard of that show, Undercover? Well, not very many of you. I, uh, I didn't see it when it first came out, but I've seen a few of the reruns of it. There's one episode especially that really caught my attention. In the show, the owner of a company goes undercover. And he puts on a disguise and he brings a, a fake film crew, you know. And they put a whole elaborate show on and they say, you know, this guy is a contestant on some, you know, uh, not talk show, but some uh, game show kind of thing. So nobody knows who this guy really is. But he is the owner. He's the CEO of the company. And he is now coming down from his lofty position to see what it's like as one of the lowly employees. My favorite episode is one about the, the store in, it's in the Northeast in America called Modell's Sporting Goods. The CEO is named Mitchell Modell. Very, very wealthy. Very popular store. Been around for almost 100 years. I mean, big deal up in the Northeast. Mitch Modell, he shaved his head, put on a big fake mustache. I don't know why he chose that horrible thing. I mean, that thing hung down to here. It was bad. And he's a slightly older gentleman, but kind of heavy set. Couldn't get around very well. And here's the boss coming down, and they're making him do manual labor. He can barely keep up with the employees. He goes to the shipping dock, you know, and he goes to the distribution centers. He visits truck drivers. He hears their complaints. They're complaining about him to his face. They don't know that he's the boss. You know how many times we complain about things to somebody else? not realizing that God's right there in the room hearing those complaints. And he goes, hey, <laughs> I'm the one in charge. You're, you remember they did that to Moses all the time. Moses said, why are you murmuring against me and Aaron? It's not, we're, we're not the ones in charge. It's the Lord that you have a problem with. And these employees go on and on. And at the end of the week, the owner goes back and has to make some decisions. And what, you know, what have I learned? Mitch Modell made the biggest transformation of any of the bosses at the end of the week, he called the employees that he spent time with one by one to meet him at a special place, and he revealed what the plan was. And they looked at him, and they, they said, Are, you know, he took off the fake mustache. They said, wait a minute, aren't you the guy I spent this week with? Yes, I'm actually Mitch Modell. Oh, no, I mean, a couple of them were real worried because they had some very rough things to say about the ownership, right? And that man, one by one, he, he gave one truck driver $50,000 and gave him a, a promotion and a raise. He said, you have been undervalued and underappreciated, and I want to fix that today. He gave another employee a $20,000 check and gave him a special vacation to go off with his son. He gave another manager of one of the outlet stores, he gave him an all-expense-paid seven days, six nights, you know, somewhere uh, in the Bahamas or something like that, all-expense-paid vacation because this man didn't have any family time. He worked all the time. 
The schedule didn't allow for any family time. So the man said, I'll fix that. And then one lady, she was a manager at one of the outlet stores. He was talking to her in the storage area in the back while he was undercover. And his cover story was, I lost my pizza shop and I'm trying to get back on my feet. And here this lady launches into her life story. Don't give up. Just keep pressing on. It will work out. Let me tell you what I've been through. I started a family when I was young and now it's just me and my three kids and we've been living in a homeless shelter for over two years. And he said, whoa, I'm sorry, you live in a homeless shelter? She said, yes, even now we live there. But don't worry, it's going to get better if you just stick with it. And he, he couldn't contain himself. He broke down in tears hearing this lady's story, but he kept his cover. And then at the end of the week, that, that manager came into the room and realizes who this is. And Mitch Modell said, I was so touched by your story. He said, number one, we're going to promote you to assistant manager and give you a $14,000 a year raise. And immediately she was breathtaking. This is, this is going to change her life. Then he said, your story of living in that homeless shelter broke my heart. I don't want you to ever go back to that place starting tonight. He said, therefore, I've worked it out. I've paid all the taxes for this. You don't have to worry about anything. You just need to go and choose a new home. I'm giving you $250,000. Rightfully so, the lady fell out of her chair. Barely able to compose herself, she just broke down in tears. And, and you could see Mitch Modell, this older gentleman, pretty heavy set, not built for this. He goes to the ground with her. And puts his arms around her and says, are you okay? Are you okay? It's going to be all right. And he takes that check out of his pocket and he puts it in her hand. And he says, now you go find that house. And they give each other an embrace. And after she pulls herself together, off, he go, off she goes. And you look at that and you think, my goodness, what a heartwarming story, right? It's amazing how good people can be from time to time, Right? And now think, there was a time when the boss came down undercover, walked amongst men. The world was made by him. He was in the world. The world was made by him and the world knew him not. They didn't know, here's the boss. And he becomes acquainted and he sees this one in tears and this one's lost her son and this one's lost their brother and pain and sorrow everywhere and grief. And that's why the Bible says he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He got to know us on a personal level. And listen, today, when you're crumpled on the ground and you don't think you can go on, he humbles himself. He condescends to your level and he gets right down there with you and throws his arms around you and says, don't worry. Don't give up. I have provided for your needs. Here, let me give you a check. Th this check is an eternal payment for your sins. If you'd like to have eternal life, I've paid for it. Don't worry about the taxes. No strings attached. You just have to receive what I have done for you. Sinner, all you have to do Reach as breathtaking as that offer is. He's offering you a spot next to Him forever that starts today. 
You say, I've already accepted that. Good, then I got another check for you. You say, I already took the check of eternal life. Praise God, what a gift. He takes out another check and he says, Sinner, you look burdened. You look weak. Come, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I have a check here. It's written for rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. You see, God in His natural essence couldn't make such a statement. But God in human form can say, I'm meek and lowly in heart. And if you'll just put your neck in the yoke with me and walk next to me, you'll find rest for your souls. You, you know on that check where he writes rest, it has a dot, 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 dot to the end of the check. You say, what do all the dots mean? It means unlimited. It means anytime you need grace, anytime you need help, Jesus came down to your level. He said, you will find uh, help and grace in a time of need. You know where that verse is? Hebrews 4, verse 16. You know why that's possible? Why he's able to offer rest, dot, 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 anytime you need it? Because of verse 15, he was touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He says, therefore, anytime you want, he extends the hand. He says, all you got to do is take the help I'm offering. I will reconcile you to God, and I will walk with you each step of the way. How can he do that for us? Because he came from divinity down to the dust. To take those of us from the dust to walk by his side and live with him forever. Friend, the hand has been extended. I'm offering you today to reach out and take that divine hand. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed, eyes closed for a moment. Some music will play softly. May you please, just for a moment, take some genuine time to think about how special it is that Jesus came down to our level. Without that, we could not know God the way we do. He made God accessible to mankind. He is the bridge. He is the ladder. So I'm asking you, friend, that check that He paid for, that He wrote on Calvary, it says eternal life. To whomsoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. If you have never received Christ as your Savior, would you take that gift this morning? Would you receive Him? God has reached out. He will not force you to take His help, but His hand is extended. Now you can just reach up. So Brother Mike, I'm saved. I took that payment, that salvation. But my heart is so heavy with the problems of this life. I, I, humanity, just being human is getting tough. Jesus knows right where you're at. So he extends the other hand. and says, now here, grab on, take my yoke. I will walk you through it. 
Would you take his hand? Saint, I'm, I'm talking to you. Would you take his hand this morning and say, I want to walk closer. I need grace. I need help. Why don't you just thank him this morning for making such an effort to get to know you. I'm going to close in prayer just now. What I'd like to offer is if you would like to receive Christ as your Savior, would you just find me afterwards? That is, if you have questions, if you'd like some help with that, I want to make myself available to you. Please feel free, come and find me. And we'll take you aside privately, answer any questions you have. Father, I want to thank you for sending your Son, the Word, who is God, was with God, came down, became flesh, dwelt among us. Father, we do not claim to understand the the mystery that is the Trinity. You're beyond our understanding. But what we do know is that you cared so much about us that you came down here like one of us. It's amazing to think that you care that much. And Lord, if somebody is here today and in need of one of those checks you've written, full and free salvation, grace, rest for the soul, whatever it is, I pray please speak to their hearts. Again, we thank you for your help all through this day of the wonderful things we've heard. And I pray you please let these things sink deep into our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for being here. No class tonight. Please bear that in mind. And Lord willing, we'll see you on Wednesday night. We do have Bible school then. We'll see you then.